You know, it's good to, to gather with our brothers and sisters and to sing the songs of praise periodically. Today I would stop and just listen. And I love to hear how our church sings out and how we praise our God. I, I love, I love our church. I would rather be here than anywhere else in the world any day of the week. I love the folks that God has blessed me with and the place that God has placed me. Today we're in the Gospel of John, chapter 6. I was thinking as I was reading it, have you ever noticed how, how difficult it is to stay satisfied with anything? I mean, we, we tend to always be looking for the next big thing that will satisfy us. There is something in all of us, I think, at times that leads us to believe that there's got to be more to life than what we're currently experiencing. So we set out to find something that will satisfy this feeling, this longing within us. And we try any number of things that should fill us and should take away this longing. Um, some go through relationships and I think if I can just find the boyfriend or the girlfriend, the husband or the wife, then this longing will be satisfied and my life would be complete. Others try to satisfy this longing through pleasure. If they could find that ultimate good time, then suddenly it would, their life would make sense and the longing would be complete. Others try to satisfy this longing through wealth and possessions. If they could get just one more raise, that next big job, one more really cool toy, that would, that would settle it. That would end this longing and it would be satisfied. And of course, there are any number of things that people use to try to satisfy the longing. But regardless of what we try, the results are always the same. None of these things really finally and fully satisfy the longing within us. Most of these things do provide a measure of satisfaction or, or temporary satisfaction. But given enough time, the new wears off. The dissatisfaction returns. And while we may be satisfied in one area, we're not fully satisfied in all areas. There's still something within us that just says there's, there's more to life than I'm currently experiencing. C.S. Lewis, the author of the Chronicles of Narnia, wrote about this in one of his books. And here's what he said. He said, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. If I find myself with a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, then the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove the universe is a fraud. Probably, earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, only to arouse it. To suggest the real thing. In our message today, we're going to look and find out what Jesus says is the real thing that will finally and fully satisfy that longing within us. Open your Bible to John chapter 6, verse 22. That's page 814 in your pew Bibles. And when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. John records... And on the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which the disciples had entered and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats had come from Tiberias to the place where they ate bread. The Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they came to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them and said, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. 
Do not labor for food which perishes, but for the food which endures the everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because, the, because God the Father has set his seal on him. And then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform that we may believe it, that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness, in the desert, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. The title of the message is the bread of life. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we praise you. We want your will to be done in our lives. Father, we, we know what it is to have a desire for something more. To look at our lives and to feel that there's got to be more than we're currently experiencing, God. And we know that in Jesus there is there's completion, there is fulfillment, there is satisfaction. In you there is the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Father, you are what we need more than anything. Help us today to see, see Jesus as the bread of life. To see that, that when we believe in Him, when we trust in Him, when we are living for Him, truly we can find the fulfillment that our hearts seek. Father, I ask You to work in us. Father, show us how we need You. Show us how we try to, to fill that void in our lives with something other than You. And show us how, how much of a waste of time that is. God, if there's any of us that are here today, then we're satisfied in our lives apart from Jesus. I pray that you would make us unsatisfied. Father, don't let us find satisfaction in lesser things. Don't let us find satisfaction in things that are going to pass away and won't carry us into eternity. God, help us not to settle, but to reach for what you have given us and what you want for us. And to, to take nothing but Jesus for our lives. Fill me today with your Holy Spirit and give me clarity of thought, clarity of speech. Help me not to be a hindrance in any way to what you want said and what you want done. Be glorified in this time. Let your will be done in all of our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus has performed a great miracle early in the chapter. He has used just... Five loaves and two fish, and he has fed a multitude of people with a poor boy's lunch. And in doing that, the people have seen that and thought that was a pretty amazing thing. Sent the disciples over the sea. He's walked to them, and he is now where they are. As we look at this, one of the things that's important to understand is that Jesus, when he does miracles, he always has a reason, right? He never does a miracle just for the sake of doing a miracle. Always there's a point. One of the points that he always makes is he's doing it to show who he is. Remember, he came with a purpose. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to be the ransom and to pay the penalty that our sins deserved. And so all that he did all ultimately was pointing to the fact that he was the one that everybody was waiting for, that all of the Bible and all of history was pointing to him. Sometimes there was another point that he made, and that was just to get people to ask questions, to think or to, to talk to him about something. That seems to be a part of the point in this passage. The, the sermon he gives, I guess you could say, in this passage seems to be a part of why he did the miracle. He, he wants them 
to think about what he did. He wants them to think about why he did it. He wants them to wonder who he really is and what he what his purpose in life is. Right? Because ultimately, what does Jesus want from them? He wants them to believe in him. He wants them to experience the life that God has planned for them. So Jesus' teaching, it, it builds up to the main point of verse 35 when he tells them, I am the bread of life, which, uh, and he who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. And, and what he's done is he's wanting them to understand there is a, a longing that you have, there's a desire that you have, but the main thing I want you to get from this, he says, is that what you ultimately need, that satisfaction, it's not going to come from, from food if I give it to you. It's not going to come from other stuff. It, it, it is just, it's me. I am what you need above all else in the world. And the main thing I want you to understand today is that very thing. That Jesus alone satisfies the longing in our hearts. Jesus alone satisfies the longing in our hearts. When we, when we realize there's something more, Jesus is that something more. The Bible says God has planted eternity in our hearts right, to show us there's more to life than we're currently experiencing, to make us long for something we do not have but we desperately need. And in this passage, Jesus teaches them and he talks to them and he explains to them how he is the bread of life, how he is the one that satisfies the longing of their hearts. And in order for them to receive it, there's things they're going to have to do in order for us to receive that there's things that we're going to have to do. And I believe there are two actions that we have to take. Um, one is seek Jesus for the right reasons. Right? Seek Jesus for the right reasons. Now, Jesus has fed them a lot. And they ate all that they wanted and there was leftovers. He then departed. He went to the other side of the sea and the people began to look for him. And I, I like, I've got underlined in my Bible, verse 24, they were seeking Jesus. I mean, that just, you know, there's just a part of us that says people seeking Jesus. Yeah, that's, that's what it's all about. That's what they, they need. That's the right response. And notice they, they tell Jesus, hey, we've been looking for you, right? We, when they found him on the other side, they said, Rabbi, when did you come here? Right. They were seeking him. Hey, how did you get here? And kind of the indication is we would like to have come with you. We would have liked to have followed you. But Jesus, being God, he knows their hearts and he knows their desires. And so he doesn't just take the flattery of their lips as, oh, I'm glad you liked me. Come here and sit by me. Instead, he deals with the issues that are going on in their hearts. And he said, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me. Not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Right? And, and he gets right to the heart of their problem. And what he says is, you saw what I did, but you missed the point. Right? The, the point of the loaves wasn't just to feed hungry people. That was a part of it, but there was a bigger, a bigger issue. There was a bigger truth I was trying to teach you, and that is that I am the Christ, the Son of God, that you have been waiting for your entire life. And while you saw what I did, you missed the point. You're not looking for me because you saw the sign, right? You, you saw and realized I'm the Christ. Instead, you're looking for me because I fed you and you want more food. And it's really the point. They were seeking Jesus, not because of who he was. And they weren't seeking Jesus because he was the Christ, the Son of God. They were seeking Jesus for what Jesus could do for them. Right? It was all about them. If they followed him, he could continue to feed them. 
Right? They wouldn't have to work. They could just go where he was. He could give them all the stuff that they needed. Hey, he was periodically putting the Pharisees in their place. That would be fun to watch. It was all about them. They missed the point entirely and made it all about their will and their want and their desires. And it's easy, I think, for us to look at that and say, gosh, how could you be so blind? I mean, how could you how could you miss that? How could you be so selfish and self-centered? But I mean, let's be honest, aren't aren't we kind of that way? I mean, can't. Can't we, if we're not careful, make the focus of our lives seeking Jesus, not because he is the Christ, the son of God, the savior of the world, but because of the physical earthly things he can give me for the stuff he can do for me to make my life easier, to make my life better, to fulfill my my wants. Can't we seek Jesus like that as they did? I mean, honesty calls us all to say, sure, sure we can. And I think there is an element in which seeking Jesus for what he can do is right and true. And we see that in this text. But he says in verse 27, do not labor for food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Certainly, when we all came to Jesus initially by faith, we came for what he could do for us. He could save us from our sins. Right? For me, the pastor had preached on hell. And I knew two very big important things. I did not want to go there. Jesus was the only one that could keep me from that place. So I went to Jesus not because he was wonderful. Not because he was kind and glorious. But because I didn't want to go to hell. Jesus could keep me from going there. And all of us, initially, we seek Jesus for salvation, for what he can do that no one else can do. And that is right. And that is true. We should seek him for things that produce everlasting life or for the things that endure to everlasting life. And that's not problem. That's not wrong. The problem comes when we only begin to seek Jesus for what he can do for us now. What he can give for us in this life. The ways in which he can fix the things that are going on now. So let me give you, for instance. We talked about the storms of life last week. We know what that is. All kinds of things can happen in our lives. Our our marriage can begin to crumble. Our spouse can begin to, to cheat and act like they're going to run off. We can lose our job. The finances can go bad. Investments we've made turn out not to be good investments. The test results come back poorly. Just our life in general is not what we think it should be. And things in our lives are not right. Our children make bad decisions and are destroying their lives. And how heartbroken we are on that. Now, what do we do as believers when these things begin to happen? Well, the first thing we do is we we seek out Jesus to help us, don't we? I mean, that's what we've been taught we're supposed to do. Now, even non-believers a lot of times, a lot of unbelievers will in that crisis moment, they will begin to seek out Jesus because they've been told that he can help them and he can be with them and he will do what only he can do in that time. And, and all of this is right and true. We are told to cast our care upon Jesus for he cares for us. But that is, that is not God grudgingly saying, if you ain't got nothing else, go ahead. 
That is God saying, I love you. Come to me and let me help you carry the burdens of your life. And so that, that part is not bad. That part is, is good. But if, as believers in Jesus Christ, we have begun to stray away and the hard times come into our life and we go to Jesus and we repent of our sins and we recommit our life to Him, that is the right response. If, as unbelievers, our lives begin to fall apart and we believe that Jesus can help us and we go to Him and ask Him to save us so that He can help us in our life, that is the right response. However, let me ask you, what happens if Jesus doesn't fix the problem? What happens if after seeking Jesus and recommitting your life to Jesus and praying to Jesus and reading the Word of Jesus and and all of this, your spouse still leaves? Your health gets worse. You don't get another job in time to save your finances. Your child continues to rebel. Your world still collapses. What will you do then? Because let's just be honest. Christians, good Christians, they get sick. And they get sicker. And they die at times. Good Christians get fired from their jobs and have problems finding other jobs till their finances are in bad shape. Good Christians raise their children right and those children make bad decisions. And they continue to make bad decisions until it's just all upside down. Good Christians often will have a spouse that will fall away, run away, And abandon their faith in Christ. Jesus doesn't always fix our earthly problems. We know that. We we know that from life. We've seen it happen. You may even have experienced it in your life. But what do you do if He doesn't? Because obviously... There are a lot of earthly things that Jesus is going to give us and do for us and help us with. It, it happens often. Sometimes it doesn't. What will happen to our faith and our devotion to Jesus if He doesn't fix what we want Him to fix? Honestly, the reason we seek Him now will determine the decision we make then. If I have only sought Jesus, not because I saw the signs and knew He was the Christ, but only because of the earthly things He can do for me, then when He doesn't do those earthly things for me, guess what I'm going to do? I'm not going to follow Him anymore. I'm going to turn and walk away because He let me down. I did my part. I did what I should have done and Jesus was supposed to fix it all and He didn't. And so I want nothing else to do with him. Disillusioned, I'm disappointed. And I walk away from him, abandon my faith. On the other hand, if I sought Jesus for things that would endure for everlasting life, then I'm likely disappointed. And I'm probably confused. But I keep going. I continue to follow Jesus. To do the things that he wants me to do, even though it's hard. Even though it hurts. Even though I don't understand. Jesus, absolutely, will fulfill that longing in our hearts that we all have. 
But he won't do it if we seek him as the genie to give us the things that we want. He won't do it if we seek him as the one who's, who comes to, to give us all of our heart's desires. That only happens when we seek him for the right reasons. When we seek him for things that will endure to everlasting life. We must seek Jesus for the right reasons. And secondly, believe Jesus is what you need. But I mean, this is this is a key. I mean, do you do you in your mind have a, an idea that Jesus is enough? I mean, is that a reality? If if your world falls apart and all you have left is Jesus, will that be enough for you? Is His presence in your life, His promises about your future? Will that sustain you? That's a big question. And honestly, I'm not sure it's one that we can fully answer until that moment. But it's something we need to have in our minds that's going to happen. Because we look here, and they here they kind of begin to understand a little bit of what Jesus is talking about. And so they, they want Him to prove Himself. Right? Look at verse 30. Therefore they said to Him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it? And believe you. Uh, what are you going to do? You, you want us to believe in you. You want us to think that you're going to satisfy the longing in our heart. You're the bread of life. Prove it. Right? Give us a sign. Do, do something that would show us. Then they come up with their own sign. Our fathers ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Of course, that's referring to the Exodus where Manna came down and they ate and God provided for them. And, and here's what they're saying. It's kind of almost comical. It's what they're saying is Jesus is telling them, you're only seeking me because I fed you. Seek me for things that really matter, not just food. And they said, OK, we will if you prove that you're someone we should seek for eternal things. Here's how you can prove it. Give us food. Right. Give us food to eat. And it's not even like do it once. He'd already done it once in the Exodus. They ate manna for a long period of time. And the idea is, feed us for a long period of time. And after over a period of time, if over a period of time you can continually make bread fall down from the sky and fill us and do all of this, then we'll decide we'll, we'll, that you're what we need. Then we'll decide that we'll believe in you. And Jesus, he gets on them. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread. From heaven, For the bread of God is him who comes down from heaven and gives his life to the world. But right? in their mind, Moses did it. And, and Jesus says, no, you're, you're missing the point. Moses didn't really do it. Moses' job wasn't to produce the manna or to part the waters or to make the plagues come. Moses' job was to say, hey, look at what God just did. Hey, looky there. Here's what God's doing right now. Right. Moses was godly and Moses was good and he was a great leader. But making manna fall from the sky way above his pay grade. Only God could do that. And so he corrects their idea. It wasn't Moses. It was God. And God has given you that bread. It was me. He has sent it down from heaven. What you need, he's saying, is me. And, and so they ask him again, then, Lord, give us this bread always. Again, they're, they're not wrapping their mind around the fact that he's talking about himself. Oh, he's already sent it. Well, then give it to us and give it to us over and over and over again. 
And so Jesus just plainly says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. And they're saying, give us what we want. And Jesus is correcting it and saying, I am what you need. Give us the food that we desire. Jesus says, I will satisfy the longing of your heart. Give us the things that will make us happy. I will give you joy. They are seeking earthly pleasures. And Jesus wants to give them something that will last to eternity. Himself. But they are not grasping it because in verse 36 they did not believe. He asked them in verse 28. They said, what do we do to do the works of God? He said, believe in the one that God has sent. Right? If you would, he said, if you would just believe in me, that I am who I say I am, that I can do what I said I could do, you would experience the fulfillment of this longing. You would see that I can do all things. And the, the idea of believing Jesus for this, this is so important. Because if I don't believe Jesus is what I need, if I don't believe Jesus can satisfy the longing in my soul, I will seek to satisfy that longing somewhere else. Right? Because when we say there's something missing in my life, no one just says there's something missing and I'm going to stay this way. Everyone eventually seeks to find a way to fix what they feel is wrong. And if we do not believe it's Jesus and turn to Jesus, we will turn to somewhere else or someone else or something else. We will seek to fix the wrong in our life. And there are a lot of places that we can go. And a lot of people through the years have wrestled with this very issue. And the Bible records one man's struggle as he began to realize something wasn't as it should be in his life. And so he determined to find meaning and purpose. He determined to find a way to fulfill that longing in his soul. And he sought after things that are familiar. He sought after the pursuit of pleasure. I mean, think about our world. Isn't that familiar? Think about like the pop culture people. What, What is their life? Actors and athletes and singers. I mean, they are openly hedonistic in their life. All, all that matters is what feels good, what pleases them, what makes them happy. Well, this guy, he sought after that as well. And here's what he said. He said, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. He said, I, I gathered for myself silver and gold, the special treasures of kings and the provinces, and I acquired male and female singers, the delights, the sons of men, musical instruments of all kind. So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained upon me, or with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart any pleasure. My heart rejoiced in all my labor. This was the reward from all of my labor. But Solomon just said, I'm going to look out in the world, and if I think that'll be fun, I'm going to do it. Now, as we look at what Solomon did and how he sought for these things, the key thing to keep in mind is who he was. Solomon was king. Solomon was a wealthy king. Right? So his pursuit of pleasure, well beyond anything we can imagine. Right? You may look at something and think, well, I think that would be fun, but I mean, it's not like I can do it. Solomon said, I think that'll be fun. I'm going to do it. He had all the time he wanted. He had all the money he wanted. He had all the power he wanted. There was really nobody that could stop him from doing anything. So he set his heart after pleasure. He looked and he said, if I saw it with my eyes and I desired, I did not keep it. Now, notice that he said my wisdom remained with me. He thought about it. As he did all of these things, he was examining. Is this producing satisfaction? Is this fulfilling the longing in my heart? 
And so he gave himself to pleasure. Whatever felt good, he did. And here was his conclusion on that. I said in my heart, come, I will test you with mirth, therefore enjoy pleasure. But surely this also was vanity. Then I looked and all the works of my hands had done and all the labor which I had toiled. And indeed, it was all vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. Solomon said, I live for pleasure. But in the end, it, it just all kind of ran out. In the end, I mean, it just that next big high wasn't all that great anymore. It satisfied for a little while, but it always wore off. It didn't finally and fully satisfy the longing in his heart. So then he. He set out for excellence in education. He determined he would learn all that there was to learn in the world. This, this, he thought, maybe this is where I will find final and full, uh, complete fulfillment for the longing in my heart. So I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem and set my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom concerning all that is done with the heaven. And so he set out to become to learn everything that there was. And he said, I communed with my heart saying, look, I've attained greatness and gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge and I set my heart to know wisdom and no madness and folly. And I perceive that this also is grasping for the wind. Right, Solomon attained to the highest levels of education there were in the day and he said it didn't, it didn't fix it. It didn't satisfy the longing in his heart. But he didn't stop there. He decided for wealth and for work. Right, surely, if I'm successful in my job and I've got lots of stuff and toys to play with, this will do it. Right, I'll be the most successful king in the world. I'll have more stuff than anybody can possibly imagine. Again, doesn't that sound familiar in our day? How many people identify themselves by their jobs? They, they find their self-worth in what they do and what they've accomplished. That is... Who they are far more than anything else. They define themselves by their toys, their things. And they're, they're hoping this will fulfill the longing in my heart. So Solomon set out for that. He said, I made my works great. I built myself houses and planted vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards. I planted all kinds of fruit trees and I made myself water pools, which to water and grow the trees of the grove. And after he had done all of that, he said, therefore, I turned my heart and despaired of all the labor which I had toiled. Under the sun. Uh, he, he spent years la making his lifestyle lavish. Making himself a successful king. Making himself the greatest in the land. And when he was finished and he had built basically everything he could build. He looked and he said, wow, that's all that there is. He went on to say this. He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver. Nor he who loves abundance with increase. That's also his vanity. For when goods increase, they increase who eat them. So what profit have the owners except to see them with their eyes? Right? Basically, the more money you have, the more stuff there is to spend it. And you don't end up with that much more anyway. Right? It's just vanity to think that you're going to have enough money to do it. That it will not fulfill the longing in your heart. But he didn't stop there. He thought political power. This will do it. Right? If I'm important in the world... Political power, man, that's a big thing in our world, isn't it? Whether people go into politics to achieve greatness and politi pol political power or whether they just give themselves to a particular party and say, I'm going to make sure my party is the ruling party in the world. This, this will fulfill the longing in my heart. If only Republicans were in all of the offices, if only Democrats were there, this would make the world a better place. And when it's all done, I can say, ah, oh, all is right with the world. So Solomon set out to do that as well. 
And he said, it's better to be a poor but wise youth than to be an old and foolish king who refuses all advice. Such a youth could come from prison, succeed. He might even become king, though he was born into poverty. Everyone is eager to help such a youth, even to help him take the throne. Now, I like the picture that it gives there. That youth could come from prison, be born from poverty, and become the king. Man, doesn't that sound like an American story right there? I mean, that's like a Disney special waiting to happen. Born into nothing, made bad choices in life, turned his life around, pulled himself up by the bootstraps, ends the show by being sworn in as president of the United States. Wow, the world cheers, right? This is it. That sort of rise to power and that sort of coming of age thing. That, that'll fix it. But look at what he goes on to say. But there was no end to all the people over whom he was made king. Yet those who come afterward will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and the grasping for wind. Here's what he says, basically. You know what? He comes king, everybody likes him, but after he's a king for a while, what happens? Those people stop liking him, right? George Bush wins big, big time. Great In the second election, wins with a greater lead than Ronald Reagan won in his great landslide. He was very popular. Left his office with, what, 38, 49% popularity rating? So the world is going to change because we have hope and we have change. And President Obama is sworn into the office. He has like a 300% approval rating. Uh, what is it now? About 48, 49, about the same as President Bush's when he went out. People are fickle. People who like you today and think you're the greatest thing that's ever walked on the earth are going to hate you the minute you do something they don't like. Because right? you're not going to please everybody. You make it to the top, you have to make decisions your, your people aren't going to like. You please everybody, you're getting nothing accomplished. You get something accomplished, you're going you're to hack off some people. And when you do, approval ratings go into the toilet. Right? You can't find fulfillment for the longing in your heart, to the fickle wave of public opinion. Political power comes that way. It's just not going to do it. So Solomon then, he found what really did it. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole manner. Fear God, keep His commandments. This is man's all. The end of Solomon's life, he came to a conclusion. He went through everything there was to go through. He looked at all there was to look at. And he said, I have found that for which my soul longed. And it was what I had all along. It was God. The longing of my soul was satisfied. My relationship and my connection to God. And that's all that Jesus is saying in verses 35, 36. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. If we don't believe that that's possible, that Jesus is the one who is what we need and can satisfy that longing, we'll look in other things. Read Ecclesiastes, the whole book, to see other stuff Solomon did. And in the end, he said the conclusion, fear God, keep His commandments. This is what it's all about. There is no man-made thing that will fulfill the longing in your soul. There is no man or woman that will fulfill the longing of your soul. There is no job or promotion that will fulfill the longing of your soul. There is nothing of this earth that will fulfill the longing of your soul. The only one, the only thing, it's Jesus. And you must believe He is what you need. And when you do, 
you'll find as David found in Psalm 63 that I read at the beginning of the service. It's better than everything else. Your loving kindness is better than life. You'll find as Paul did when he said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Jesus is what we need more than anything. He can satisfy the longing in our souls. It won't fix all the problems in our lives. But it will carry us through that midnight hour. It will keep us close, devoted and fervent in our passion for Him. It will sustain us when everything that this world offers crashes down and fails us miserably. Do you believe that Jesus is what you need? Do you believe He can satisfy the longing in your soul? Let's stand. As our musicians...